Radio Overload. Let's break the mold.
and welcome to Radio Overload and in the studio with me is Jordan, Harry, Aaron and Linda and Linda is our special guest today who we will be talking to about caring, being carer, all sorts like that. So would you like to introduce yourself Linda? Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's very unusual for me to be this side, that side of the table but uh, it's great to be joining you. Yes, my background, obviously there's two sides to my background. One the professional side which um, Criminal psychology is my uh, actual profession, but uh, I still work a lot to do with prisoners and I still work a lot to do with uh, mental health, state of mind, a lot to do with caregivers because they burn out an awful lot. So I'm trying to uh, reverse that fact as it is uh, preventable. But uh, a lot of people just keep giving instead of uh, taking time for themselves. And on the other side, of course, my daughter. She has many of these invisible issues that you're, you're talking about. Asperger's, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, uh, OCD. And uh, you know, she had a quite a few bereavements in her life. And uh, that uh, took her down a very slippery path of uh, drugs and alcohol as well. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a rocky road. Yeah, um, as always, with any kind of health, mental health issue, it is. And what would you say has been the most challenging part of your caring journey? The most difficult is the emotional, because you can see the person that you love so much destroying themselves, basically. And the more you try to help them, the more they do it, because they don't want to listen to you but they do and they're pulling themselves apart and in the end the, the kindest thing is actually to move away and give them distance so that's and it's so difficult it's so so hard and really you've got to hit rock bottom before you can get there so um just to go off that and if you don't mind me asking um how how do you get around that how does how do you take that challenge on I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a build-up. And when you're looking after somebody, I mean, you say looking after them in the wide sense, because obviously it's my daughter. But uh, growing up, you have the normal things that she doesn't fit in at school and there's bullying at school and, you know, the teachers aren't particularly helpful and things like this. So um, I took jobs as um, supply teacher. So I could go into the schools and see how they actually dealt with with children. And it was just amazing to see that, you know, some of just the basic things that they could do to help, they didn't. Like, you know, spellings. If you gave all the spellings to learn in one spelling rule, it would make it so much easier. And all the children could learn that way. It's not that you have to be, you know, anyway special in that respect. Um, but they give them so many different spelling rules in one lot. She would spend hours in the evening with me learning them. She'd go in the school in the morning and she'd forgotten them all. And so then the teachers are saying, oh, she doesn't do any work. Well, she does, but you're not helping her because you're not doing it in a regimented form that is logical to her, you know? So it, the emotional roller coaster, the, emotion, the emotional corrosion is, is you know, it, just, it, it does break you. And the heartache, the tears, the pain, is is non-stop yeah and it gets to the point where the the dam breaks on the sort of flip side of this is there a sort of sort of positive point about caring is there like a best bit so to speak oh there's there, i mean there's always best bits i mean the fact that all everybody that's on the spectrum is so unique you know really appreciating that you know you'd go somewhere and, and she'd come out with things and 
it was just such a wonderful viewpoint. You know, like with Asperger's and many of the others, their use of language is so direct. And uh, we were watching a film one day that actually it was the wedding singer, and all of a sudden she was like behind the sofa and she was in tears. And I'm like, well, what's the matter? Yeah, what what's happened? And uh, she said, oh, did they do that to you? Did they hurt you? You know, I'm, I'm never getting married. And I'm like, well, what what do they do? They toast the bride. Uh, so literally yeah. for her, you know, she's thinking that you have to get toasted. Yeah. Mm. Um, so there's things that just you open your eyes to see the world in a different way because you can see it their way, which we take for granted a lot of it. But um, they are energetic, they're interesting. Like I say they've got so much going that is different, but we're all different. And why there's so much made about this and why the support isn't there seems really, really difficult. <coughs> Feel free not to answer this question if you don't want to. But um, do you feel there's a a stigma around the idea of being a, a carer or caring for people? Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, it's not certainly not valued as it should be. Um, I mean, I when I look at the the caring, I work a lot with carers, and very very many of them are people that have had very good jobs, they've had senior positions, but they've chosen or they've been in a position to give up their job to care for somebody. You know, I my daughter obviously was part of my my caring, but also both my parents. I care for both my parents until. I lost both of them. So when the roles are reversed, it emotionally it's very hard. Financially it's hard because very often people have to lose an income. You know, if, if you are a couple and one person has to give up a job, but if you're on your own and you have to make that decision, you know, that, that's very, very difficult. Um, it is very difficult and um, I don't know from experience, but I was wondering if you kind of have any problems or things with separating your care identity and like your personal identity because you have a background in criminal psychology and prisons but then you've also got to work by caring for your daughter how does that work it's a really good question actually because um you can't be both i used to go to lots of um educational meetings and educational statement meetings with parents with uh, children with dyslexia dyspraxia all sorts of things that i could go along and i could advise them and help them go through all the the spiel of all this because i could go with a professional head-on but when i had to go to meetings for my daughter i always took somebody with me that i trusted because I can't, you can't be a parent and be emotionally involved or, you know, the son or the daughter and listen to information about the person you care for with an objective mind. It's impossible. So taking somebody with you that you trust that will actually listen to the information is really, really important. That does sound really important. Um, you were talking before about how you've worked a lot with caregivers. Have you wrote a book about that? Yes, the uh, the last the last book I did is actually caring for the caregivers. It's very much um, a proactive book. Very very simple. It's not complicated. It's not uh, psychology mumbo jumbo. It's uh, very uh, down to earth and very practical. So there's ways of looking after yourself because what is really important if you're caring for somebody else and you're giving out to somebody else all the time you are going to get eroded and you're going to get worn down and you're going to get tired and exhausted emotionally and physically. So 
learning to value yourself, care for yourself as much as you care for somebody else is so important. And you also have a radio show. Yeah, I've a year now. Yeah, yeah. So I do, uh, the fourth Sunday of the month is a Stress Buster Sunday, which we talk about all sorts to do with health and well-being. We've had guests on there from holistic therapies, uh, mystic mediums to um, theatre sisters that are talking about orthopaedic um, joint replacements. We've had the local couple of the local GPs on and uh, pharmacists to talk about different things. People from the NHS talking about critical care and home care and things like this. And so all across the board, that, yeah, and that's the fourth Sunday of the month. And the other one is the uh, business networking. And that's the second Friday of the month. And that one, we look at people that are interested in business or have got a business but don't know how to develop it and hopefully give them some really good tips about what's going on. Just a quick thing, and again, feel free not to answer this one if you don't want to. I know there will be people eventually listening to this that um, might be a doctor or a GP or someone might have told them that eventually they might have to care for someone. And there is that initial shock, as you said earlier, about financials and all that. How would you... How would you, in a sense, give advice to get over that initial shock if it's something that people can get over, in your opinion? I think you need to take time to really, really think about it. Um, Because what normally happens is people start caring a little bit. You know, like with my mum and dad, you know, they were very uh, easy. They were uh, physically fit. They could do different things themselves. My dad was still driving and that. And then all of a sudden, you know, be going in doing odd jobs or things for them. Then all of a sudden my dad had a several hemorrhage, so he couldn't drive anymore. Then he was in a wheelchair. So my mum was main carer, so supporting her. So most people, when they're not professional carers, they're caring in the home. Uh, their caring role will start quite small, but it grows. And very often, if it's not an accident or something like this, it's not going to get easier. It's, it's going to progress to get more and more difficult. So getting support, getting people around them that can help them is really, really important. As the last question, what ways of supporting people and carers have you found and will you be able to recommend? There's, I mean, a Carers Leads is a really, really good one. I had a meeting the other day with the, the lady that was running that, and they've got some fantastic services out there. The uh, local community here in, in Seacroft, in Seacroft Grange, they've got a, um, a bistro that is open to, to everybody. You can go along and have a coffee and something to eat. They do have a dementia uh, cafe there as well that people can go along and... If somebody is suffering from dementia, they can uh, take them along and everything is fine. Because some people get very uh, embarrassed about being out with family and things like this. So there, it's very at ease and people can help. And of course, here in Chapel, we have the uh, cafe on a Thursday. So uh, always time for people to talk and get to know. Up in the library, there's an awful lot of information and uh, facilities there for them to be able to get more support. But get the support don't don't be you know of the firefighter don't be a trooper on your own saying i can do this you really do need help and support yeah thank you for supporting us with um appearing here on the show thank you linda and goodbye thank you for having me and that was the interview with linda serge that we all conducted in order to find out more about how we actually care for the caregiver of people who are different and of course 
care as a human too. What do you think about that, Aaron? I thought it was actually a really good interview. I was lucky enough to sit in on that one and asked a couple of questions myself. And I, I think it was really important that we, as a group, delivered that to our audience, so to speak. Yeah, because it kind of adds to our message, doesn't it? That we're kind of breaking the mould of what's expected of radio and we just do stuff like that. So, guys, we're going to go to a song now called Monster by Skillet. So that was Monster by Skillet, and now we conducted a Q&A about what it's like being different and what certain people at Chapel FM think about people with differences. So let's play that. Why do you think certain groups of people are underrepresented in the media industry? Having worked in the media, it's, it's even more than underrepresented. It's when they are in the media, they pretty much had to like hide the fact and like downplay what it meant to be different, unless it was like some special documentary about like, you know, it's like you could be on the radio or TV if you were like a comic character that people would be laughing at, basically. 
they're just uncomfortable hearing, like they, they want to do what they're already familiar with because they think that that's what listeners want to hear. People find it hard adjusting to change. Okay, they're on the radio or in the media and television, but they have to sort of tell their story a certain way that people expect it. It kind of has this already predetermined narrative to it. It's like people don't like things they don't understand. They don't like who we are. Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive.
and that was Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. And now we're going to have an in-studio discussion about how each was different and kind of what it's like being us in a way. So who wants to start, guys? My name's Aaron, and I got brought onto this, obviously, as you've heard, or will hear, um, to talk about my involvement in theatre, and because I have, like, a disability as such. I'm Jordan, and I'm here because I'm one of the original members of the group. I have two hidden disabilities, which are ki one of them is suspected, but they refuse to do a testing on me. But it still affects my life in many ways. Hi, I'm Harry. I have a couple of hidden disabilities and a couple of non-hidden disabilities, one of which includes autism and one includes visual impairment. So I'm a pretty good mix and add to the team, really. I think the aim of this conversation wasn't to be what disabilities we have, but how it affects us and that we aren't just our disabilities. Like, you're not autistic, you're a person living with autism. You're not an epileptic, you're a person living with that disability. And it doesn't make our life. Our lives can be different with or without it, but it is a big part of our lives, what we have. I mean, I have mental health issues, non-epileptic seizures, and a whole host of other medical things. It's amazing, not. Um, it makes my life funny. Um, I learn to deal with different challenges and all sorts. I completely agree with that. Like, I can see the humour in like my disabilities. Like as well, I'm I'm dyslexic, so I generally went to the like supermarket the other day and read a sign as demonic bananas. <laughs> oh, wow. wow! Stuff like that. I've done that before. You know, I've gone into Tesco's and asked <laughs> if I could have a toasted like pineapple. <laughs> I meant to say panini. Where pineapple from? Oh my gosh! I mean. I'm an idiot, so I've got the kind of brain and hyperness that I'll just literally go and mess up everybody. Like, I'll go into Tesco, then I'll start rearranging stuff so it makes no sense and just wait till it affects people. And then that's normally at the point where someone, normally Aaron, will go, Jordan! But the thing is, it's not about messing stuff up, it's how we understand it, and I think that's a good part of our personality as well. The fact that we have more fun than anybody else because we deal with a lot more rubbish than everybody else i had to stop self from swearing then <laughs> especially when you want to find the humor in your own situation i'll tell you though something i really need to find humor in my visual impairment is when people ask me where my guide dog of my cane is <laughs> seriously uh, yeah oh you're wearing glasses yes you're half blind okay where's your guide dog um I don't know if I'd say I don't need one, but I've been told I've done, so always oh, you can. Not every visually impaired person has one. How do I turn that into a funny drop people get to diffuse the situation? I don't get it. So about the stereotype thing, um, is there any good stereotypes of disabilities? You're autistic, you're very smart. You're ADHD, you must be like Tigger, which I, I like. I don't know what a good stereotype is, to be honest with you. So, what is next, Jordan? What is next on the list? We now have a song which is Raw by Katy Perry. Yay! I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath Scared to rock the boat and make a mess So I said quietly Agreed politely I guess that I forgot I had a choice I let you push me past the breaking point I stood for nothing So I felt forever you had me down, but I got up. Oh, 
and welcome. Today, we're going to be interviewing Aaron. Can you introduce yourself, please? Hello, I am Aaron. Um, what else would you like me to talk about right now? Um, just tell us what you do around Chapel to start with. So I do quite a lot. I work with Elliot a lot on the technical side, like the lighting and stuff. But I also work with the theatre group here. So Aaron, we're going to ask you a couple of questions. So how do you ensure that the next gen theatre group is inclusive and accessible to everybody? So what we would do is when everyone like signs up, we ask them to fill out a form. And on that form, there's a box that says, do you have any medical conditions? And through that, we find out what like issues people may face. And then it's basically, we have a talk with the rest of the team, so Gabby and Zoe, on how best to then proceed with that person. So we basically, we encourage anybody to come along. As long as you're honest with us, we will give you the best help that we know how to do. That's very good. Um, and now, can you tell us what you do for a living? As a, a living, I tend to do a lot of acting type work and running workshops. So, like, I do the youth theatre sort of stuff, but elsewhere as well. Uh, but primarily, I act for a living and I teach it. And um, you are what we would class as a disabled actor, correct? Yes. So, have you heard about the debate recently about disabled characters only being allowed to play disabled characters in theatre? Yeah, I have heard about this debate. Um I'm not entirely sure why that is, but yeah, it's something that's going on at the moment. So, as someone as a disabled person in acting, can you tell us if you think it has changed your experience in the job career and how it has changed your path? For me in particular, it's sort of slightly odd because I'm not, I hate the word, but visually sort of disabled. You can't see my disability then I'm quite easy getting jobs because I don't have to really tell them. But like sometimes if I do, I might get passed up for certain parts and you you know, you usually get the, oh, you're not quite what we're looking for, excuse. And you, you can't help but feel that. Um, and other times it kind of works to my advantage because I do, I mean, it's awful yet again, but I, I take the box, if you know what I mean. I take the I'm all inclusive box. So do you think it might be harder for like other people and like how it influences the jobs that people can get and if you think it should be like that like should disabled people only be able to act as other disabled characters you see as a a job goes it's it's sort of a difficult one because like no one else is going to play that part better than a person that has it but at the same point you wouldn't expect someone in a wheelchair to work in the fire service would you and it's sort of very it's a difficult one to handle because on one half, you've got that sort of, no one's going to know it better than them. But at the other half, some of these issues that people have, some of these disabilities means that they might not be capable of playing that particular part. And um, sorry for jumping in here, but what do you feel about, um, like, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a certain acting style where people really immerse themselves in the experience of um, like... Um, whatever disabled person they're playing, how do you feel about that? So the uh, acting style you're on about there is called method acting. Um, And that style is very unique to the actor. So it depends really, because I personally think that you're never going to have the same experience as someone that has that particular issue. So to method act something like that, you must get really in there. 
Plus, methodacting is actually quite dangerous. There's thousands and thousands of actors that get stuck in roles and they can't break free. So that in itself causes more problems than it solves. So I wouldn't personally do that. But I know in the company and like in the profession itself, there's a lot, a lot of people that method act and a lot of them play these roles and get not stuck in it, but it becomes sort of part of them, if that makes sense. Speaking about method acting for a moment, um, what other methods do you use and to practice to get into roles? So it depends really on the part, but whatever you do with acting, there's sort of, there's the basic thing what you do, which is you look for the script and you do what we call a script dissection, which means you break it down to its base elements. What is the character? Why is the character? And then you essentially, you build a picture up of what this person is. Uh, there's also another technique that I forgot the name of because, you know, can't remember name everything. Um, but it's where you base your character off a creature. So, like, I was playing a guy called Riley from Are They Out? And he's based off a of Staffy because it's proper, like, giddy and excitable. But it will turn around and bite you if you mess with it. That does seem like very good methods. Um, and going on the flip side of, of the debate about... The, how about disabled characters playing non-disabled characters? For example, like severely disabled char- um, people playing non-disabled characters. Right, so you see, the issue is, if you get... Right, take X-Men, for example. Patrick Stewart plays a guy in a wheelchair that can't walk. And, you know, he, he can walk. However, would a person play that role better than him? Do you know what I mean? It's a difficult one to answer, isn't it? But on the flip side of that, if a disabled actor plays another disabled role, is that right? Because sexually, you are just taking the mickey out of that other person. Not intentionally, but it does come to that. Some of the actors I've found, particularly in TV, I don't know if you've seen the TV series The A Word. It's a very good TV series. But um, it was about a boy with autism. And autism in the media is, as I've found, not really bigly represented in TV. You've got shows like The Good Doctor and stuff that have autistic characters in them. And that's a step forward in putting autism into the media. But what they did with Joe, the actor, or I think it was the character name for the kid with autism in that series, is that, I, I believe this is what happened, spent about four months every day sort of training, I guess, of someone with autism, learning everything about autism, stimming, echolalia, all that to get into that character role. And I remember about a year ago, because I go to a specialist school, we had someone who was making an autism miniseries with actors with autism for the internet, and nobody had autism, so they spent about two months at our school, every day at our school, getting to know the students, going through school days, like that sort of thing, to get into it. So if you can't give someone with that condition a role in something as someone with that condition... I'd say the the easiest next step would be to put them for a bit with someone that has that condition and learn, is what I've found. There is an, a normal, well, it's not a normal thing now in movies, is when, for example, a character with autism, they only show one side of it and it's normally the hyper-intelligent side of that. For example, if you look at 
the new Power Rangers movie, the the character Billy is autistic, but he's the super intelligent side of autism, nothing else. And even if you look at the new Predator movie, the super the autistic he's super intelligent, is able to understand alien technology just because he's autistic. But in reality, that's not what autism like. Do you see that with other things, like with things you experience? You you see that quite a lot, and it's because it's still quite a taboo subject. We don't talk about disabilities as much as we should do, because people see it and they're like, oh well, like, you know, we we can't go see that. That person's got that issue, so they make it more like try to make it like a superpower and fantasize it. When in reality, it's not like that. But we only see the very sort of Hollywood image of what they are, especially in films. In what I've seen, media often rather presents autism as a superpower, a hyper-romanticised version of what it is. Or the worst thing in the world, something that ruins everyone's lives and, you know, just in general. It's rather a bad thing the worst thing that could possibly happen in an illness or it's a superpower it just makes you smart and not much else um on kind of that subject i don't really understand why some films tv theater books media like um intentionally place a disabled character just to tick that box when they don't really contribute to the plot they're just there they are the central thing that that film or movie is about just because they want to go hey we're disabled friendly and um if someone with a disability is going to play a role and they're a good enough actor to then why shouldn't they if they're autistic or have a wheelchair or something i think partly it is because of the awful thing that big corporations to to be allowed to do what they do they have to tick the box that they're all inclusive so they will write specific parts in the background for people with problems because therefore they can just tick that box. And I don't believe that's right at all, but I suppose every little step is going to get us to the point where it doesn't matter if you have... Ideally, the ideal world is it, it shouldn't matter. It should not matter, but unfortunately we don't live in a fairy tale. That's very true, and... Um... Aaron, I believe you're writing a play at the moment that's focusing about um, epilepsy and the real-life side of that. And it, can you explain to us how you plan to do that in terms of actors and how you're going to portray it? So my plan for this is I'm going to open it to everybody who wants to audition. Um, and how I'm going to be sure it is, because I am also epileptic, I have a really good understanding what it's like. However, I also know there's people out there that don't understand it. Uh, and I think the story I'm writing is very unique because it has sort of like a two-sided coin, if it will. Like, Gussie's character, which is the male, has had it since birth and it's based off sort of my experience of it. So he's not scared, he's not afraid anymore. However, Molly's character, she just comes into it and it's it's terrifying for her. So... um yeah, I'm looking into that and also looking at how it affects not just the epileptic, but the people around them, like their friends, their family, and what that does to the, like, the psychology of people. So I'm looking sort of really sort of deep into characterization on both them parts, and I will probably do workshops with people to bring that out of them, as well as like help direct them towards what I want them to achieve. 
does a very good enough effort. Are you going to be acting it or are you just directing it? At the moment, I'm just going to be directing it, I think. Mostly because I want someone that doesn't have a biased opinion. And that currently isn't me. Because, like I said, I'm epileptic. So for me to play that part, I won't be able to separate myself far enough away from that part. I know that makes no sense. But as an actor, you need to be able to separate you and your character as well as sort of bleed a little bit in. So I'm going to step away and direct.
and that was Elevate. And now we're going to talk about... How about, why did we create this? There Harry, ain't... you created this one. Yeah, there isn't much like it out there, and the stuff that is isn't exactly... I'm not saying it glorifies having, in my instance, autism or a visual impairment, and in others' instance, whatever they have. What I'm saying is I wanted to make this so that it's sort of gritty and raw and you can see what it's like or hear just how it is and that might be frightening to some people but it's something that the media has to get round their heads that disabilities are something that need to be heard as they are and that shouldn't be frightening. I got this feeling inside my bones it goes electric wavy when I turn it on All from my city, all from my home We're flying up no ceiling when we in our zone I got that sunshine in my pocket Got that good soul in my feet I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops Ooh, I can't take my eyes off of it Moving so phenomenally Come on, like the way we rock it So don't stop
feeling 